Well, we heard about uh, being a diverse community of people following Jesus, and that pretty much covers the first part of our mission statement. And pretty much this message will cover the rest of that statement, too. So we've got a whole church mission statement today and a couple mini-sermons or whatever. Uh, I'm talking about the mission, the message, and the means. And this is for our community. This is for the people who follow Jesus. Um, the Blues Brothers, one of my favorite movies, are on a mission from God. They're putting the band together. They're on a mission from God. They, they knew they couldn't fail. Whatever they did, they couldn't fail because they're on a mission from God. And they did put the band together, and they did get to play the big concert and then go to jail at the end. But they, they accomplished their mission because, darn it, they were on a mission from God. Um, and we're also in New Braunfels on a mission from God. It's not to put the band together, but I think God has given us a specific mission. Um, in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus tells us what this mission is. This is ultimately, as Christ followers, this is what we're to do. This is how we're to live out our daily lives. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. Actually, let me start over. I want us all to read this together. Can you do that with me? Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Thank you. Uh, so, Scott, Pastor Scott's currently on a mission to the Holy Land. Um, part of it is seeing the sites in the Holy Land. But the bigger perspective of their trip, as Mike has already talked about, is bringing peace to that area. Every person who goes learns something and takes something back with them. And they take back a piece of knowledge. And knowledge is power. And what they're bringing back is the idea that nobody is absolutely right and nobody is absolutely wrong. There are things going on in the Middle East we cannot understand from our Western culture perspective. We just cannot understand it. But as they're, they're exploring the Holy Land, they're kind of getting a glimpse of what life was like when Jesus lived and what life is like now with the modern-day people that live in that same land that walk that same street. And it, it's, a, it's a difficult perspective. But they're bringing peace through their little part. They're trying to bring peace to that area that is so torn by conflict. And that they're on a mission. And Scott goes on quite a few missions. Uh, but what is our mission? Into each, as corporately, as a church, what is our mission? And each one of us. What is our mission individually as I go, as I leave this door today and go into my regular world? What, what is the mission that I have? The mission is to go. Um, basically, the entire message of mission, message, and, and means is all in this statement. Uh, go back real quick, Matt. The mission, mission, message, and means is all in this statement. The mission is go. The message is to obey all the commands. And the means is because I am with you. 
So everything we're going to talk about today, I'm going to expound on all this, but everything we're talking about is in this passage in Matthew 28. He tells us what we're to do, what, uh, what we're to say, and then how we're to go about doing it. Well, Jesus is talking to his disciples when he's saying this. So who is a disciple? Can't I just go to church and live my life the way I want to? Why do I have to study Jesus? and Why do I have to be a part of a thriving community? Can't I just say I'm a Christian and is, does that save me? Or what if my parents are Christians? Is that good enough? Where, where are the nations? I mean, do I have to go to Africa? Lord, please don't send me to Africa. What are we to teach them? I mean... What if I don't understand the Bible? What, what if I just I don't know any verses? I don't know how to talk to people. What, what are we? How, I'm not a teacher. How are we supposed to teach people? Or how are we supposed to do this? What if I'm an introvert? What if my house isn't big enough to gather people? What if I just don't feel like it? How are we supposed to go about accomplishing this mission? Well, let's just start at the beginning. The mission, uh, I think, is spelled out pretty clearly in Acts 1.8. Again, remember everything in Matthew 28 we just covered is applicable, and we're going to kind of expound on that. So in Acts 1.8 it says, But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, Jesus is, again, telling his disciples this. It's kind of a reiteration of the Matthew 28 passage. Uh, but this time, in Matthew 28, he's saying it before he died. Now he's coming back in Acts 1 and saying it after he's been resurrected and comes back. So he's really emphasizing to these disciples you're going to go all over the place and, and tell what you have seen. And what they have seen is, what they saw is pretty incredible. Um, a disciple is simply a student. Uh, that's what it means, student, a learner. And in, in our context, a disciple is a student of Christ. People who follow Jesus are disciples. We're students of Christ. We should always be trying to learn from Jesus and to do as he commanded. So, are we disciples? I think only you can answer that, but I think anyone who follows Jesus is a disciple. And so these commands are specifically for the disciples of Christ, but anyone who follows Christ is his disciple. And so these apply. Let me reread that verse again uh, with a different context. Go ahead, Matt. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in New Braunfels, throughout Texas, in the United States, and to all the nations of the earth. So I like to kind of contextualize the Bible in something we can kind of understand. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, we're not familiar with that region. But we do know where New Braunfels is. And Jerusalem was just where they were at at the time. That was, their, that was the local congregation. Well, our local congregation is New Braunfels. 
And as, as Jesus talks, he kind of expands the region unto the very world. So New Braunfels, Texas, the United States, all the nations. So you can see basically anywhere we're at is our mission. It's Africa is a mission field, but so is New Braunfels. Anywhere there's people hurting, anywhere there's something broken, anywhere that Christ is needed, which is every single square inch of the planet, is a mission field. So you don't have to go to Africa, although you can. Um, but you don't have to go far away. You don't have to go further than your backyard to find the mission field. Because in your backyard you have neighbors who may not know Jesus. And they need to know Jesus because they're hurting. Our, our mission statement in the church, as we already covered, is very in line with uh, Jesus' mission statement for us. We're a diverse community of ordinary people delivering the good news of the kingdom to our neighbors and the nations. We got the neighbors. We got New Braunfels. We got uh, Texas, all our neighbors, the people that live next door to us, and the nations. We got, we're covering, you know, in Texas, we plant different churches. We planted a church in San Antonio. In the United States, we're part of Vineyard USA. We give our tithes to the Vineyard USA, which is a national church planting organization. So we're helping to plant churches all over the country. And also to the nations. We're, we're involved in Chile, Rwanda, England, Israel, Palestine. And I'm sure the list goes on. There's a lot of people listening on the podcast that are from the nations. Um, I, I can't even imagine where. But we got people from all over the globe that listen to us. I mean, our, our meager church in New Braunfels, Texas, people tune in from all over the nations and, and hear what God's doing in our lives. And, the, and that's our church. As corporately, that's our church's... I mean, that's what we got going for us. We, we can reach out to every part of the globe here in New Braunfels. Um, so Scott is on mission, as I said, in Israel and Palestine. These are some images uh, that they posted that are from this most recent trip. Uh, Scott has a message for our community. He says, good morning, community. We walked through the upper room yesterday, and I thought, this is where it began. So glad we're learning and living together as a community following Jesus. Enjoy the morning together and know that we're thinking of you step by step. And that's a message from Scott, so there you go. Uh, the following slide is some images, other images of mission in our community, things that we've done as a community um, that just that bring Jesus to our neighbors and the nations. So, at, I mean, there's Scott at work. Our workplace is a mission field. Let me tell you, parties are a great mission. <laughs> because if you have a party and invite someone who doesn't know Christ or that, who just needs to have a good time and hang out with some good people, that is building the kingdom of God. Just through a simple party. I mean, it doesn't even have to be alcohol-free. You can have some wine there, whatever. It's okay. Jesus drank wine. 
He had parties. He went to his, I mean, his first, his first thing in the Bible as an adult is a wedding feast, a party. Jesus loved parties. We, we should also love parties. And, and that's part of our mission is to party hard. <laughs> but with keeping in mind that it's to build the kingdom of God. Um, so what does Paul say? And Romans has a lot of great stuff in it. Um, and Jesus said some powerful things, and Paul basically expounded on what Jesus said. And Paul really brought the Holy Spirit into everything he did and taught. And Paul focused a lot on the Holy Spirit. Um, but Paul gave us some advice on how to live out mission in our daily lives. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. So we don't have to fast for a week and put on special clothes and dishevel our hair and you know, throw dust on our heads and wear a sackcloth to go on mission. We don't have to go to Rwanda or Chile, England or Israel to go on mission. That's great if you do, but everything you do from sleeping and eating is you can bless God in your life. And it's just by giving your life as an offering to God, giving up what you want and letting God take control. The mission field is everywhere people are hurting. Uh, here the verse goes on to say, Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So there's two parts. We can follow our culture. We can be just a person who goes with the flow and just fits into our culture and not be any different and just be kind of considered normal by the rest of the world. But those people tend to be empty and sad. They may not look sad. They may be having a great time. They may be really living up life. But deep down, they're missing something vital to their soul. They're missing something that really gives them life. And if you ask them and sit down with them for a while and have a conversation with them, are you okay? And pry into that. You're going to find people are hurting deeper than what outwardly it appears. Because they're missing something that gives us life. But if you let God transform you into a new person, you'll find joy and purpose. I mean, the meaning of life, that's probably the biggest question in the world. What is the meaning of life? Ask, you can ask anybody that question and you'll get any kind of answer. I think a lot of people say, I don't know. But God gives us a purpose, a meaning. He gives us a mission. This is our mission, to go and proclaim the gospel. And that, that's a purpose that we have as people who know Jesus, who have accepted his grace and mercy. And we get to bring others along the journey. We're just taking a journey through life. 
But our life is not sad. It's filled with joy and peace and happiness through any circumstance because God is transforming us into a new person. It's not natural. It's not part of our culture. It's not natural. It is supernatural because God is doing it. It is supernatural. So that is the mission. But what is the message? The message is God loves you. All right, we're done. I, I, I really could end there because that, that's it. We, we tend to overcomplicate the message. We try to theologize, well, i got to have 50 words in it or it has to start with a certain phrase or what if I'm missing something? What about Jesus or the Holy Spirit? Or Basically, look, everything God's done from Genesis 6 on is pursuing people because he loves them. Everything in the Bible is done because God loves us. You don't have to understand Leviticus 7.13. Just understand that Leviticus 7.13 is there because God loves you. Molly, God loves you. Adam, God loves you. Bryant, God loves you. Abby, God loves you. Otto, God loves you. It's a powerful message. Everything God's ever done, ever done, is because he loves us. He sent Jesus to die for us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. When it comes to describing God's unfathomable love, even the Bible admits defeat. God's love for you extends far beyond the bounds of human comprehension. There is no word in any language that can describe how deeply God loves you. I, I, I mean, that's, that's the message, but I can't explain it because God's love goes beyond our comprehension. It doesn't matter how much you love God. It doesn't matter how much you've devoted your life to God. It doesn't matter if, if you've had sex orgies every night for the last month. It doesn't matter if you've gone to wild parties. It doesn't matter if you've gone through VLI. Or if it doesn't matter if you've gone through a four-year seminary, got your master's degree in divinity and your doctorate in theology. It doesn't matter if you're Billy Graham or, or me or anybody. It doesn't matter because God loves you more deeply than you can know. And it doesn't matter how much you've sinned. It doesn't matter how much you love God because none of us fully love God. We've all committed sins which are basically selfish acts. I think, in my opinion, a sin is selfishness. A sin is a selfish act. Something where we're thinking of ourselves above others and above God. Because the, thing God's, the things that God wants from us is to love others and to love Him. A sin is to do something other than that, which is to love ourselves before others or before God. So any of the sins in the Bible are things that we want. We wouldn't do them if we didn't want them. It's selfish acts. But we're all selfish. We've all sinned. We've all done things that have displeased God, but it doesn't matter. He still loves you.
And that's the message we have to give to the world. That it doesn't matter how much you love God. That's irrelevant. God loves you just the same. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 says this, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever separate us from God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The happiest people I meet are not those who have the best of what the world has to offer or those who have achieved great success in their professions or those who are in great positions of power and influence. Some of the richest people in the world are not happy. There are people who have wonderful jobs and great cars and have everything in life and they get a divorce and their life just crumbles and they're not happy. Things and money and power and wealth don't make us happy. The happiest people I meet are those who have learned to totally trust and obey God in their lives, no matter their circumstance. The people in Africa who have nothing, who make, who live on a penny a day, and some of you have been out there in the mission field and seen this. The poorest people in the world can be perfectly happy because they have God in their heart, because they have Jesus, and they know how much he loves them. It doesn't matter how much they have in this world. It's not about this world. It's about how much God loves you. And that's our message. But really, you knew that, right? You know, all this, the mission and the message, you already knew. I think so. If you follow Christ, I hope being a disciple, you've already learned those things. But how do we go about doing this in our daily lives? I'm not talking about taking a mission trip once a year. I'm not talking about doing something special. I'm talking about as you leave the doors today and go to lunch or as you go to work this week. How do we do this? What is God's answer to giving us the ability to do this? Because I'm up here, I'm not a public speaker. I'm an introvert. I am quite scared right now. (laughs) But God has given me a gift. And it's not a unique gift to me, it's a gift he gives to all of us. And it's the Holy Spirit. The key to living the life that God intends us to live is being filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't live this life for God without the Holy Spirit. Again, Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness. He told the disciples, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to give you the helper. I'm going to give you someone who is going to get you through this and going to help you be an effective witness. To, to your neighbors and the nations. And that's going to be the Holy Spirit. And he's given us this gift. The greatest gift besides salvation God can give us is God's presence, God's very presence inside our hearts. The temple was destroyed. The temple was the house, the presence of God. That was destroyed. The veil ripped open so that then God could enter into each one of us, into our hearts. The moment you received Christ... The Holy Spirit not only came to indwell you, 
but he imparted to you a spiritual life, causing you to be born anew as a child of God. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, however, is not a once and for all experience. There are many fillings. We have the Holy Spirit when we accept Christ. That's God's gift to us for accepting Jesus. But the power for effective living, the power to heal and to do miracles, that is something we need to be filled with the Spirit to really get, to really be able to accomplish God's mission. And it's, it comes through faith. Romans 8, and again Paul's telling us here, But for you who welcome the Spirit of Christ, you in whom he dwells, even though you ex- still experience the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing for you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. As spirit-filled believers, we're not immune to sin. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean that we're invulnerable. But we're also not controlled by it. Because sin no longer controls us. The Holy Spirit controls us. And though we sin, we've been saved and redeemed from sin. And we're, we're not only saved from sin, but we're saved for God. We're not just saved from. We often hear we're saved from my drinking problem. We're saved from my sexual addiction. We're saved from the bad life I used to live. But if you take something out, if you take a, if you got a cup of water and you take that water out, it needs replaced with something or else there's a void. You can put some milk in it or whatever. If you take something out, you've got to replace it with something. And when you take out sin in our lives, you've got to put in the Holy Spirit. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With the Spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. Jesus did some great things. And he said we had the power to do the same things and even greater things. Uh, there's a story. In West Texas, there's an oil field known as the Yates Pool. During the Depression, this field was a sheep ranch owned by a man named Yates. Mr. Yates was not able to make enough money on his ranching operation to pay the principal and interest on the mortgage, so he's in danger of losing his ranch. With little money for clothes or food, his family, like many others, had to live on a government subsidy. Day after day, as he grazed sheep rolling over the West Texas hills, he was no doubt greatly troubled about how he would be able to pay his bills. Then a seismographic crew came from an oil company and told Mr. Yates there might be oil on his land. They asked permission to drill, and he signed a lease contract. At 1,115 feet, they struck a huge oil reserve. The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. Many subsequent wells were twice as large. Thirty years after the discovery, a government test on one of the wells showed that it had the potential flow of 125,000 barrels of oil a day. Mr. Yates owned it all. The day he purchased the land, he received the oil and mineral rights, yet he was living on government relief. A multimillionaire living in poverty. The problem? He didn't know that oil was there. He owned it, but he didn't possess it. The Holy Spirit's in each one of us that have accepted Christ. We have 
the promise from God to live a spirit-empowered life. But we have to embrace what God has given us and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Many Christians continue to live in self-imposed spiritual poverty because they don't know how to appropriate from God those spiritual resources which are theirs. Matt? D.L. Moody once asked uh, why he urged Christians to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, I need a continual filling because I leak. He pointed to a water tank which had sprung a leak. He said, I'm like that. So we can be filled with the Spirit, but we leak. But fortunately, God has an unlimited supply of the Holy Spirit, and he's willing to impart it upon us. Jeff, if Zeke came to you and said, I love you, and I'm willing to do anything for you, would you respond with, I've been waiting for this day? I'm now going to take everything away from you and make you do what you hate. I'm going to make your life miserable. Is that your response? What would your response be? If Zeke... Yeah. I mean, if your child said, I love you and I would do anything for you, would you not love him equally back and give him a giant hug and a kiss? Because that's what our Father in Heaven wants to do for us. He's not looking for the day that you accept Christ to make you miserable. He's looking for to give you a good and wonderful and beautiful life. He wants to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. The sin cycle. Um, is up there. Romans 8 says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. And really, we all want, who doesn't want life and peace? You can breathe spiritually for the rest of your life. There's a little practice here. Here's here's some practical application. Exhale by confessing your sins whenever you become aware that you're grieving the Spirit. Whenever you sin, oh God, please forgive me for whatever. And inhale by appropriating the power of the Holy Spirit by faith. Through spiritual breathing, you can live an abundant, fruitful, and joyful life through the glory of God. So how do we live out the mission, the message, and the means? One, you have to accept Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior. That's, that's the entry point. The law kept us from death. But the cross brings us to life. And we have to accept Jesus' sacrifice and God's love in our life. And when we do that, He gives us the Holy Spirit. But every day, we leak. We need to continually be filled with the Spirit to live out our mission. And then as we're Spirit-filled believers following Jesus, we need to tell others about what God has done for us. So repent of our sins, surrender your life to God, spend time with God, and then proclaim the good news to our neighbors and the nations. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. Just fill us, Lord. In faith, 
we know you want to fill us up and give us life abundantly and peace and joy to get us through any circumstance, but also to give us just joy and love for others. Supernatural power to do things in this world that that our culture cannot let us do. We want to go against the flow. We want to be people following Jesus, going against the flow. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us up as we go out today, as we go out to work tomorrow, as we go and live our lives. Be with us, Lord. Be with us, giving us your power, your glory, shining through us to do things for your kingdom, to build your kingdom, to lift your name high and to glorify you and to bring your kingdom, your peace into this world. Your kingdom is just the restoration of what you wanted your creation to be. And Lord, we're agents of building that kingdom. We're agents of setting things right. Through the Holy Spirit, which is your power, we can set things right in this world that are not right. So come, Holy Spirit, fill us up. We lift up our sins. Just under your breath, in your mind, confess to God your sins this week. Lord, we, we, we offer up our sins to you. We sacrifice them on the altar. And Lord, as we empty ourselves of, of how we've wronged you, we ask that you come into our life and fill us up. Fill us up, Lord, to the top and overflowing so that we not only have enough power for what you want us to do, but we can give that out to others so that we can impart to others the joy and the love and the peace and the hope that we have. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And to make this real, let's tell one other person, at least one other person this week, about how God has filled you up with His Spirit. We're on a mission. Don't forget that. We're not just going to live our ordinary, everyday lives being a part of this culture. We're countercultural. We're not of this world. We're of the Holy Spirit. And God has put hurting people in our lives. Each one of our lives. I don't think there's anyone here who doesn't know someone who isn't hurting. It's our mission to go and set things right. So I just want to ask you, if, if any of these things, if you need any of those things, if you need to accept Christ in your life, or you need to be filled with the Spirit, or you're not sure where your mission field is, just come up here as we end the service. Just come up, and we're going to pray for you. We're going to lay hands on you, and we're going to personally just ask God to come into your life and fill you up and give you these, this peace, this supernatural peace in your life, and this ability to do things that you cannot do in your own power. So peace and blessing, and go with God.